In Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a special episode of the Vine Pair Podcast, where today I'm joined by Will Summers, brand ambassador for Horse Soldier Bourbon. Will, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Zach. Excited to be here. Fantastic. Well, let's start with a, a hopefully relatively simple question. Where do we find you today? Where do you find me? I am in yeah. East Texas, just south of Tyler, enjoying some hot summer weather. <laughs> is, I'm not sure there's any other kind in East Texas, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Will, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and I'm very excited to talk about Horse Soldier Bourbon, but I think we got to start a little bit before Horse Soldier Bourbon came into the world and talk a little bit about your backstory. And for one, I will freely admit that I am not someone with a like a deep knowledge of military history. So can you explain to me and to our listeners, what is a horse soldier? Okay, a horse soldier is, I mean, in this case, it's really a nickname that was given to us. But right after the attacks on 9-11, we were the first 12-man team of Army Green Berets deployed from 5th Special Forces Group who led the invasion into Afghanistan and as it had, uh, we, we ended up riding horses in combat against Taliban and Al-Qaeda. That was the only mean of tra- means of transportation with the Northern Alliance that we were fighting with. And so initially, the nickname Horse Soldiers was kind of, ha-ha, our buddies, you know, giving us a little poke. But then it's, it's grown into what it's become today. Well, I, I appreciate the desire to be, to some extent, uh, humble, but can you talk a little bit more about what the mission that you and the other horse soldiers were on and kind of what happened, um, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable sharing details and things like that? Sure, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm proud to talk about the men that I served with and what a privilege it was to be with them. Uh, our mission was uh, to to lead the invasion into Afghanistan. And when we received that mission, we also received the caveat that um, we had very little hope of survival, that mm-hmm. that we possibly were not coming home. We were being infiltrated into the, uh, the mountains, real high altitude, over 19,000 feet. And, uh, you know, it was late October, mid-October. And so winter was about to set in at altitude in northern Afghanistan. It's just not a good place. They made it clear that there wouldn't be medevacs, there wouldn't be the resources that we were normal or accustomed to having um, in a regular conventional battlefield. This was unconventional warfare. And so we had to go and liberate the city of Mazari Sharif to hopefully open a land bridge to the north into Uzbekistan. We were given 12 months to do that, again, with the caveat that if we didn't make it out of the mountains before winter, that there was little hope for our survival. So we infiltrated Afghanistan. Uh, The next surprise was that we were going to be on horseback, (laughs) had to adapt quickly to that, learn how to travel with equipment and weapons and just lots of radio gear. So there was a lot of uh, adaptive learning going on there. And I I guess the miraculous thing is, is that Mark, our, our captain was a horseman. He actually grew up in Kansas ranching cattle from horseback. 
had also was a, a military history buff specifically studying horses on the battlefield and their wow. their position and their place. So that became a real key influence coupled with Paul and Andy and Steve and some of the senior guys on the team to come up with the battle plan that allowed us to do what we had little chance of of accomplishing in 12 months. We were able to accomplish in just three weeks after our infill. We had liberated the city of Mazari Sharif and not with massive U.S. casualties, but with no U.S. casualties. Wow. So it really was uh, touted as the, the most successful unconventional warfare campaign of the century. Wow. That definitely sounds like a, an experience that merits a bourbon. Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be more happy uh, or blessed to work with the men that I worked with. They're still um, my closest brothers to this day. Okay, so I have to ask perhaps a very silly question. Did you get trained on how to ride a horse as a part of your Green Berets training, or were they just kind of like, uh, here, good luck? No, it was definitely, uh, here, good luck. Uh, <laughs> lots of lots of tax dollars <laughs> were paid on training us, but horse riding wasn't wasn't one of them. Uh, it was it was a pretty steep learning curve for us. Yeah, not not exactly a low stakes environment to learn how to ride a horse. And my, I, I was never good at riding horses. I actually broke my arm falling off one when I was like twelve, and that was the end of my horse riding. I did not follow the adage that you get back on the horse. But uh, you know, that's why probably why I'm doing this and why you were doing what you were doing. So, or do you enjoy riding horses now? Is it a part of your life in any way? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Every, everywhere I go, I'm always challenged to get back. So people are always setting up these events for me to be on the backs of horses. And I, I must smell like a predator or something oh, to a no. horse because <laughs> I have never found one that enjoys my company. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, maybe if you give him some bourbon first. Don't take that as actual advice. Yeah. You probably shouldn't give your, your horse bourbon. Maybe you can walk us a little through the process from, you know, your time in Afghanistan and post-Afghanistan, or at least post the sort of horse soldier period of your time there, and into where you are now, which is the brand ambassador for a bourbon. So, like, what happened? Whew, that's a that's a 25-year walk. Yeah, uh, that's true. Well, almost. you know, we can, we can try and keep it sort of short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after, after the mission had taken place... It was work as normal. When we first came out of the country, we went straight back into a queue to receive another mission. When we found out that we were uh, 75th in line to get back into the country, then we kind of said, hey, if, if we're not going to get back in the fight and if we're not going to be doing our jobs, we'd sort of like to go home and see our families. So we got permission to do that. Uh, you know, that eventually turned into the invasion of Iraq, which was also heavy, uh, heavy on the responsibility of ODA 595. Then it was just deployments in life. And then, you know, we started retiring and, you know, a lot of guys were doing government contract work because we wanted to be giving back what we had to the community. Uh, being around like-minded people was really helpful. And then somewhere in 2014, Scotty Neal, who's our president of Horse Soldier Bourbon, and John and Elizabeth Coco started kicking around these the idea of this startup. Now, Scott Neal's significance to us is he was a fifth grouper, uh, an initial invader, 
which is one. He was one of the first guys on the ground in Afghanistan as well. John Coco was a ranger. We don't hold that against him, but it is <laughs> it is a fact. So those guys started kicking this idea around. Um, we had worked with Scotty, like I said. Scotty said, man, if you guys will join and jump in on this with us, then we've got this tremendous backstory. We build this thing together. We work together. It was kind of like keeping the band together. Mm-hmm. So um, we said, yeah, let's do it. And and we've been doing that ever since then. And over the years, we've added uh, more and more guys from the team. So we actually have five guys from the original team who are who are serving as ambassadors for Horse Soldier Bourbon right now. That's very cool. That's uh, that's got to be you know uh, as you said you know keeping the keeping the band together in a way and and having that shared point of history and connection uh, not only is probably uh, a powerful you know powerful for the brand but also I'm sure personally is is rewarding in its own way. Oh, it is. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the bourbon, and we'll talk a little more about kind of what's going on with uh, Horse Soldier and what maybe the future looks like. But but in terms of just a sort of overview of what products are in the market right now. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about, about Horse Soldier, what the different bourbons are and kind of how they're differentiated? Sure. We have uh, a straight bourbon whiskey, which is, you know, minimum of two years old. This is a high rye bourbon. So what that means is it's still bourbon. This is not a rye whiskey. We just have uh, 22% of that mash bill is rye. So that gives it a nice spicy finish. This is, um, I, I think, by far the most balanced rye bourbon on the market. It is, it's like a beautiful IPA. You know, it's done right. It's real malty up front. The, the bourbon, that sweet corn grain comes through up front, and it's just got a real smooth finish into this spicy ending. It's beautiful. 87 proof. We made it to be a mixer. And, um, you know, the whole idea behind that rye was to really supercharge that bourbon flavor through whatever you're mixing it with. And it ended up going double gold. Very cool. Yeah, very proud of that. Then we have two weeded bourbons that share the same mash bill. So we have a small batch, which is a blend of seven to eight barrels. We've proofed it up to add a little value to 95 proof. Uh, High wheat on this one, 30% wheat. 95 proof, real bold flavor in this. A lot of those baking notes that you're looking for in a weeded bourbon. It's smooth. It's soft. It's got a high vanilla uh, nose and taste, but then you get that sweet caramel. It's just buttery goodness from start to finish. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an easy drinker. And then finally, uh, we have our reserve, and that's the barrel strength. And, and it is what it is on that one. It comes out anywhere from 115 to 126. Uh, the same mash bill, high high wheat, and um, it is just it is the quintessential bourbon. You know, uncut, straight out of the barrel. Whatever it is, it is, and it is just a robust, bold, beautiful bourbon. All those baking notes are there. There's some dark fruit uh, that's also there. It's it's a beauty. Yeah, it sounds delicious. I, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a little bit about uh, with each of these bourbons, you know, sort of some slightly some slight differences, perhaps in um, potential applications, although, of course, all of them have 
you know, lots of different uses, but starting with the, the straight bourbon, you know, you mentioned it kind of the idea and the sort of concept behind it was to make a, a bourbon that would really kind of punch through or, sh- or stand out in a, in, you know, when mixed, what are some of your favorite ways to enjoy it then? Well, old fashioned Manhattan. I love a Boulevardier, man. It, we've got a bunch of different, uh, recipes that we have out there. There's a bourbon basil, basil smash. that's mm. kind of like a bourbon mojito. It's real fresh. It's got a lot of citrus, a lot of that bright, um, basil herb that comes through. So you can enjoy it in a number of ways. I tell you, highly recommend a bourbon margarita and a bourbon Bloody Mary. If you haven't had one of those two, both of them sounded horrendous to me at first. (laughs) And I mean, waking up with a bourbon Bloody Mary, mm, can't go wrong. I'm going to have to give that one a try. I I think I've done a, a whiskey... Mary at least once, but I don't know if I've ever done it with bourbon. I think I probably did it with, uh, quite honestly, a, le- a lower quality whiskey than or soldier. Right, so right. it probably would benefit from uh, from the quality product there. And then as far as both of the, or you know, whether individually or together, uh, the small batch and the barrel strength, are you are those for you kind of more neat or, or like a, maybe a single ice cube kind of situation? Or, or how do you like to enjoy those? Yeah, I, I like them neat. Uh, and it depends on you know, company, what you're doing, what the outcome is, you know, what are your goals? The the small batch is a great drinker. You know, if you're having people over, um, you're going to be entertaining for several hours, dinner party, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I feel like you can have three, four of those and you're still in the game. You know, you're, you're enjoying yourself. You feel good. It's a great drink, um, but it's not overboard. The reserve is, it's just that, man. I mean, it should be reserved for special occasions. And, you know, for me, I'm thinking good, close friends later in the evening, something around a campfire with a cigar. You know, this is, this is it. This is, this is how you salute uh, that fellowship and that camaraderie with saving the best for last. Yeah, that seems like a wonderful evening. I, I don't want you to want to get together me some... right now, don't you? <laughs> I was going to say, I got to get me some friends like that. That sounds great. So one of the things that's striking about the Horse Soldier bourbons is the packaging itself, really kind of distinctive and unique imagery and just the whole setup of the bottle. Can Where does that come from? What's the sort of, what's the genesis of that? Sure. Thank you. That's a great question. It has, uh, it has a great story behind it and uh, it's just so authentic. So the emblem you see on the front of that bottle is the America's Response Monument. And that's a Special Forces soldier, uh, modern gear on the back of a a war horse. And that is uh, a federally commissioned monument at Ground Zero. It's the only monument at Ground Zero. Um, So there's a 16-foot bronze there. When we went there to dedicate the statue, the Port Authority of New York City had kept back a portion of the steel I-beams from the Twin Towers to be doled out nationally as national monuments. When we were there, they gifted us one of these I-beams. And so we took that I-beam, and with a portion of it, we built a monument at our headquarters in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is called St. Pete Rise. And then with permission, we reforged 
that steel into our bottle molds. And so every bottle of horse soldier bourbon is actually touched by ground zero steel. Each bottle is its own little monument. I was going to ask too, you know, in in a little bit that transition, or at least talking about the sort of idea of, you know, the the sort of not just the the product, but sort of the mentality of it, or just the sort of um, spirit of it. Not to make a pun, I guess. A lot of times we get, you know, I see brand taglines and you just kind of go like, okay, this is what they're choosing to call themselves. But I know that for you and for the horse soldier team, the live legendary tag is more than just like some branding. Can you explain a little bit like what that means to you and how you and the horse soldier team are kind of putting that into practice? Yeah. Live legendary. It means a lot to us because I think it says so much about our character and character doesn't just happen. You don't have it. You determine to live a life of character. So this is not bravado. It's not braggardly. Um, It's challenging yourself every day to get up and make a difference in some way, shape, or fashion. You know, when I joined the Army, the motto was, be all you can be. And just as a young man, that that grabbed me. And that was something that I I would ask myself every morning. Am I actually being all I could be? So living legendary to us means not just letting one single event, you know, this isn't about that, that last touchdown you made in high school. This is about 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last week, tomorrow, and what are we doing next year? And some examples of that, uh, you know, well, one, we started a bourbon company. Mm-hmm. You know, that in itself is a legendary thing. And the fact that it's skyrocketing and really becoming America's bourbon before our eyes it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, we we learned about this uh, this yacht race. And so we figured we'd give it a shot. You know, let's do something. Let's challenge ourselves. So the first year we did this yacht race, we uh, we came in second place, which was probably the worst thing that could have happened to us. Because there's <laughs> been people who've been uh, who's been racing this for decades So we went back the next year and we broke the world record on the fastest time that had ever been accomplished. And then a few moments after that, somebody broke our world record. But that's the kind of guys we are. Another really significant thing is, I don't know if you're familiar with the Doolittle Raiders, but after the attack on Pearl Harbor, this was a a special operations air wing from the Air Force who went and led the strike against Japan afterwards. Now, much like our mission, they were given little to no hope of survival. So these guys knew they were getting into this mission with not having the fuel to make it back. So they were going to deliver this payload knowing that they were going to crash in the Gulf of Saipan. And and several of them did die and several of them came home. Well, Over the years, um, these guys had always gotten together, but two years ago, they were supposed to have their final ceremony. Every year for 81 years, they they got together and they toasted the survivors. Well, the last two died while in COVID. And so we partnered, Horse Soldier Bourbon partnered with Task Force Dagger, and we went to the Gulf of Saipan. We found the aircraft where these men had still been determined buried at sea. 
we became divers, archaeological divers. Then we went, surveyed the crashes, brought back uh, the remains and the artifacts that of each of these guys who had literally been buried at sea for over 80 years. And at their final ceremony, we were able to prevent or present those very special personal artifacts back to their family members. And it was just, I mean, it was just a beautiful, beautiful event. And that's the kind of things that we try to do year to year. I, I've got more that I'd love to share, but I know we only have two hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it, it, they're fascinating stories. And yeah, we certainly could fill multiple podcasts with them. That said, you said something kind of about horse soldier as the bourbon and the growth. And I want to do, I do want to talk about that because part of, well, two things. One is that on the podcast in general, we've talked a lot about the the tremendous growth for the entire bourbon category that's been going on in the, you know, in the U S and globally over the last decade or so, and how that's both obviously very exciting for people like you and me who love bourbon and especially people like you who sell bourbon, but also that it's challenging because bourbon is not a product that you can easily just have more of on hand whenever someone wants more. So, you know, what is horse soldier doing to kind of, you know, be prepared for and, you know, anticipate and meet this growing demand, both in the you know medium and long term? So we try to manage a responsible barrel model program. Uh, you know, when we first released in 2018, we, we had a goal of selling 250 cases. We wanted to try and get 250 cases out, you know, uh, to, to the states that we were in. And we sold 6,000 cases. So, you know, that barrel, that barrel model just grew exponentially. And, you know, there's some of the little ears perked up in Kentucky, like, hey, what was that? Who was that? And they assured us that we would, you know, we were a flash in the in the pan. So then the next year, 20,000 cases. Now that's a legitimate growth. Yeah. Uh, The following year, we marched straight into covid And I remember getting together and they said, "Okay, well, if the globe is shutting down, you know, there's no shame in our game if if we hit hard times over the next years or however long. And COVID ended up being one of the best uh, single point of growth for luxury spirits. And we went from 20 to 40,000 cases. The next year we hit uh, 100,000 cases this year. We're tracking for 150,000 cases, and we just plan on keeping going. We have limited our growth, though, statewide. We're not national yet. We just marched into uh, our 30th state, so we want to grow responsibly. We don't want to outgrow our supply and become allocated or anything. We really want to stay away from becoming an allocated brand. Uh, We've also have plans. We're in the process of building really a a major distillery in Somerset, Kentucky. We're calling that Horse Soldier Farms. It's going to be over a million gallon capacity, annual capacity still. And then there will be uh, historic features there, um, an experience center, a wedding venue, concert venues. It's just going to be awesome. This is 240 acres over just beautiful Kentucky countryside overlooking Cumberland Lake. So we really can't go wrong with that one. 
Wow. And I'm wondering, you know, this is this actually prompts a question that that I also have, you know, you mentioned in planning for the the distillery that part of the 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 reality of bourbon country these days is that, you know, bourbon tourism is a big deal and people are really excited about not just trying the spirits but everything that goes along with it you know that can involve obviously distillery tours and you know maybe blending seminars but also all the other things you know yeah the concerts the 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 venues the wedding venues etc like was that when you when you all sat down and sort of were like okay we need to really make this a reality was it clear from that moment that all of these other pieces of the property needed to come online too or did it become clear in the process like hey we have to make sure that we can meet all of these different needs not just produce great bourbon you know i would i would roll the credit ball to john coco and scott neal on that one because these guys did not set out to make 10 barrels of bourbon. These guys set out to make hundreds of thousands of barrels and believed it and knew it from the beginning. Their leadership in this has been amazing. So yeah, it's not just a distillery. We want you to be able to come there. It is going to be beautiful. It is purposefully going to be beautiful. It's going to be the biggest thing on the bourbon trail. We'll have uh, one of our restaurants there, the Urban Still House. There will be a five-star hotel. So we really want you to come and have a good time and spend some time with us, get to know us, become our friends, and enjoy you know what we've built there. That's very cool. And I'm curious too. You know, the the you mentioned the sort of idea of obviously growing you know in a, in a sizable way in terms of capacity, but also keeping horse soldier from being something that is solely the sort of world of you know the the allocated bourbons and the collectors and things like that which can can happen to spirits that get popular and that can't meet that demand so you know you mentioned that you're in you know 30 states at this point and you know that presumably the goal is to is to make your way into all 50 at some point or or as many as you can is there also you know eyes on overseas markets or is that still kind of uh, further down the road yeah, there's eyes on. Uh, we are through the uh, AFES, which is the military shopettes and stores. We mm. have uh, we've got a shipment in the works to go to Europe and service those guys over there as well. So we we want to be an international brand for sure. It's just doing it responsibly and getting there where we don't hit or hurt our progress back here at home. So once once the once the horse soldier farms is launched we're thinking 2026 we're going to be in full swing then the sky's the limit very cool and i'm i have a couple more questions as we kind of wrap things up here will the first one is you know obviously there are the the three existing products that are available anything else in the works i mean if you can't share you can't share i totally understand but just curious yeah we do a, a commander select which is an annual release of just really an ultra, ultra premium bourbon. Usually it comes in a, a very special case, collector's coins. Uh, we've done different things in the past. Those are those come out annually, uh, much higher price tag. But um, I mean, you're getting a, a, a product that there may be between one and 2000 of these made. So for the collectors and really just those, those people who, appreciate really, really fantastic bourbon. You get that every year. You get one of those. 
that's set up as a 501c3. And in keeping with our value of service, we, we take the proceeds from that and we give those back to veteran organizations that we really believe in their cause and, um, and really anyone, anyone who needs, who needs help where we can make a difference in a community or even in just one person's life. That's what that money is for. Excellent. And then my last question, if you will, is for people who have heard all this and are really interested in learning more, what are some ways that they can either find out more about Horse Soldier Bourbon or get their hands on a bottle or 10? Sure. Uh, any of your local larger uh, chains should have it. You can always go to horsesoldierbourbon.com. We have a find uh, menu there where you can type in your uh, your zip code and they'll tell you exactly where who has it in the area. Excellent. Well, well, I really appreciate your time. Fascinating story. I have lots more questions about horses, but I'm just going to have to scratch those. Um, and uh, <laughs> and again, I really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to chatting about this again when you guys, uh, maybe when you launch uh, Horse Soldier Farms and uh, the whole thing is up and running. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.